Have you ever been given a Christmas gift that you would describe as life-changing? You have probably all received a number of Christmas gifts over the course of your lives, as I have. But what is maybe the typical way that gift-getting goes? What happens with those gifts? How long are they remembered and useful? How long are they a great part of your life? Now, maybe it's a little different when you're getting a gift as an adult than perhaps like when my children get gifts. You know, the thing that they've been asking for and wishing for for months, and they get it on Christmas Day, and it's really exciting for about two days. And then it ends up in the mountain of other exciting things that are kind of forgotten about and buried in a toy chest at the bottom and they don't see it for months and months and then they see it again and go, oh, I forgot I had this and it goes right back in the toy chest. But the reality is, isn't it, that even as adults, when we get gifts, there are times and perhaps even often that those gifts aren't extremely meaningful or at least they're not as precious as maybe we thought they would be now that's not to say that we're ungrateful that's not to say that when someone actually takes their time and energy to get you something and give it to you that it's not something that you are thankful for and that you're thankful that someone thought of you you're thankful that someone gave to you and all of those things but the reality is that our gift getting often is like that in fact it's pretty well depicted in a well-known Christmas story entitled the Grinch who stole Christmas. Now, if you're familiar with that story or different versions of that story, what, what you come to find out is that essentially the Grinch, his perspective is that Christmas is all about the gifts. That's all it's about. And for a good portion of the story, the Who's make Christmas all about the gifts. And at one point in this version of the story that I have in mind, the story describes where perhaps even a good number of Christmas gifts end up. The Grinch is addressing some of the Who's, and he essentially says, it's all about the gifts, isn't it? But do you know what happened to, happens to your gifts? They come to me at the dump. I go through the dump and I find bags of 
Christmas ties and this and that and the other and all of you you're so focused on all these gifts and they all end up in the same place the garbage why well because ultimately gifts are often what they're just things and as much as we might like something and as much as we might enjoy getting something it's ultimately just a thing now there are gifts that you've gotten that you have right now that are meaningful to you that are precious you remember who gave it to you and when they gave it to you and it's something that is with you regularly or something that you think about regularly. But tell me if you can. How many Christmas gifts that you still have, you know where they are, and where they are, you know what they are, from five years ago or longer? How many can you think of? Yes, I got that gift five years ago or more. I know what it is. I know where it is. And I, I do still have it. How many gifts can you name? How about, let's, let's simplify a little more. Two years ago. So think Christmas 2021 or before. How many gifts do you still have that you know what they are, you know where they are, and they are still something that you use in life. You do something with. What about even just last Christmas? Are you struggling? Why is that? Because beyond just being things, ultimately the gift didn't change your life. I wonder how many of us could name a gift we've received at Christmas that literally was life-changing. I actually had a little fun. I, I looked up, I googled yesterday, life-changing Christmas gifts. And I went to a couple of the different sites that came up, and it was almost humorous to me, some of the things that were considered life-changing Christmas gifts. <laughs> That some of these people said, oh, look, here is, here's what you can do. There was one list even. It was like 10 Christmas gifts that will change people's lives. And there were some things on there that I thought, I, okay, I could see how you could consider that a life-changing gift. Like a master's class in communication or this or that. Uh, paying for someone's music lessons. Okay, I could see how maybe in a way that could be life-changing, depending on how you ask, who you ask, for good or bad. Um, but then I love the bottom thing on the list, women's clothing. Just women's clothing in general is life-changing, I guess. But how many gifts have you gotten that would be considered life Changing. Maybe you could actually tell me about a few gifts. A few gifts that are meaningful. 
you could tell me, Pastor, I, I got this gift 13 years ago from this person on Christmas, and it means so much to me. It's, it's something that is a precious possession to me. It's something that I, that I think about regularly, something I use regularly, something I wear, maybe a piece of jewelry regularly. It, it is precious to me. But is it life-changing? Perhaps you can actually think of one or two. And even if you can, the reality today, this Christmas season and every Christmas gift season, is that the most life-changing gift you have ever been given is the gift offered to you by God. And that gift is Jesus. God's gift of Jesus changes your life. That life-changing gift, that gift that God gave to you and me, that is the very reason that we celebrate Christmas. It's the reason we have a season called Christmas. He is the reason in a way that we even exchange gifts with one another because it reminds us of the precious gift God gave us when he sent his son. God wrapped up in human flesh to this world for us. And that's the truth that stands out in this passage that we read earlier in Luke chapter 1. When we come to that passage in verses 57 through 80, we're reminded of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Remember at the beginning of chapter 1, an angel came from God to tell Zacharias, you're going to, with your wife Elizabeth, conceive and bear a child, a son that you've desired, that you've prayed for. And Zacharias didn't believe it. And so the angel said, because of your unbelief, you're going to be struck dumb, unable to speak until the birth of the child. But when that child's born, name him John. And so the nine months had passed. Elizabeth and Zacharias did indeed bear their son. And on the eighth day of his life, they brought him to the temple according to the law to name him and to circumcise him. And so when they're asked, what is the child's name? Elizabeth says, John. And the people are like, no, you can't name him that. No one in your family is named that because this was the way they did things. And so they, they motioned to Zacharias and in motion, what should the child's name be? He took a writing tablet and pen and wrote John. And at that very moment... God loosed his tongue and he was able to speak again. And by the way, it's not the focus today, but I want you to see there a beautiful picture. God gave Zacharias a second opportunity at faith and he took it. He obeyed the Lord to call his son's name 
John. And that faith and obedience now opened his mouth to speak. I'm thankful today that we have a God of second opportunities, aren't you? We do. As we come to the passage, though, we're going to focus on verses 67 to 79 of this text. And the Bible tells us here that after his lips were open and people were amazed that, that Zacharias also said, we're going to call him John. And they what kind of child is this going to be? The Spirit of God filled Zacharias to speak this prophecy, to answer that question, what manner of child his child would be. But more importantly, this prophecy focuses not so much on John as it does on Jesus. Ultimately, this prophecy that, yes, tells us what manner of child John would be, this prophecy tells us what manner of child Jesus would be. What kind of Messiah he would be. What kind of gift from God he would be. Read again with me Luke 1, 67 to 67-79. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This prophecy ultimately has fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And as you read through it, it's a summation of what we would call redemptive history. In this prophecy, Zacharias highlights what God had done, what God was now doing, and what God would yet do. And what we understand through this prophecy is the realization that God's gift of Jesus changes our lives notice how this becomes so evident in verse number 74 do you see at the beginning of the verse where it says that he would grant do you see that okay who is he it's jesus it's god that he would grant and then a words later in the verse it says that we being delivered 
and then might serve him. So notice what takes place. God does something. More specifically, God gives something. He grants, he gives, he gifts to us that we being and might. In other words, God gives and what God gives causes something in us. It changes our lives. God's gift of Jesus changes your life. And there are two responses that we should have to that today that I want to focus on. Number one is simply this. We should accept God's gift. Accept God's gift. Have you ever turned away a gift? Maybe someone wanted to do something for you or tried to do something for you and you just didn't, you didn't feel right about taking it. You didn't feel like you should and maybe you said no no thank you I, I i don't need that i don't want that maybe it was someone just trying to serve you in some way i remember when i visited our our missionary jerry martinez in honduras and i was coming back to the airport to fly home and a couple of the young men who who were being trained and being mentored by jerry were there with us and they each offered to carry my luggage and i said no no i've got it it's okay i've got it no, no, Pastor Willard, let us carry your bags. Let us carry your luggage. They wanted to serve, and I, no, no, it's okay. I remember we had a, a neighbor for some time who, who would often, uh, because his truck was broke down, it seemed like every week, and he would often ask me to give him a ride different places, and so there were times that I gave him a ride, and that he would offer me money, and no, no, it's okay. You don't need to pay me for giving you a ride two minutes down the road. Maybe there have been times in your life where someone has offered you something and you just, no, no, it's okay, I don't need that, or I don't want that, or I, I shouldn't take that from you. God has offered each and every one of us a wonderful gift. And Zacharias demonstrates that by showing us four ways that Jesus changes our lives. Notice, number one, if you would, Jesus opens the prison doors. Jesus opens prison doors. In verse number 68 again, Zacharias praises God because he says he hath visited and redeemed his people. He has visited and redeemed his people. Now these words are rich in theological significance, even in history, going back to the Old Testament. In fact, if you think about Israel's history, this, these words were very meaningful to them, even as they thought about it in remembering things that God had done. Do you remember when Abraham's descendants came down to Egypt and spent 400 years as slaves in Egypt. The Bible describes their deliverance from slavery as God's visitation and redemption of them. In fact, 
in Exodus chapter 3.16 when God meets with, with Moses at the burning bush. There in Exodus 3.16, and Moses is asking God, God, why have you not seen the, the cry of your people? Why have you not seen their bondage? Why have you not heard cries for help and God responds and says surely I have heard their cries I have seen the oppression that they are experiencing and now God says I have come to visit my people in Exodus chapter 4 verse number 31 then God continues to speak to Moses and he says essentially the same thing, telling Moses that he is going to do this work. And Moses comes now, he's in Egypt, and he shares that God is visited and going to redeem his people. And the Bible says the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel. And they bowed their heads and worshipped. And then in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, the Bible declares as God is speaking to Moses and giving him a message for the people of Israel. He says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So when Zechariah says God's visited and redeemed his people, they understood that to an extent historically because God had done this for them in Egypt. But ultimately, what Zacharias is prophesying of here that he probably doesn't even understand completely is that this visitation and redemption are fulfilled and found ultimately in Jesus Christ. Do you remember the psalmist looking up to the stars and asking God the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? God, why do you care about man so much? And the ultimate fulfillment of God's visiting is not care for people, not just his interaction in human affairs, but by coming down to earth himself, taking upon him the form of man as Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen him, us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace." 
Peter himself wrote about it as well in 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And what this picture of visitation and redemption speaks of is Jesus opening prison doors. He is setting captives free. That gift is ours through Jesus. Secondly, Jesus wins the battle. In verses 69 through 75 of Zacharias' prophecy, he speaks of this truth that Jesus wins the battle. He, he speaks about how God's people needed a horn of salvation. This speaks of deliverance. He, he speaks of being saved in verse number 71 from the enemies, from those that hate us. That God would do this because it's the mercy promised to the fathers. And what he's describing here is this truth that Jesus wins the battle. Again, he doesn't understand himself completely. But here we have what is called a, a prophecy that has a dual fulfillment. In other words, it is fulfilled in two different ways. First, for Israel specifically, there's a national fulfillment that is still future even from this day. Remember, the Messiah was the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant where God promised David, I will give you a descendant who will rule on your throne forever. You'll have a son, a descendant, who will sit on your throne and be the eternal king. By the way, that's what the Jews of the New Testament expected, wasn't it? That's what they were looking for. They were looking for that one who would come and destroy their enemies. At the time of Zacharias, when Jesus was born, they were looking for one who would come and destroy the Romans, who would take the throne of David and rule then on for eternity. That's what they were looking for. And likely, even as prophesied, that's probably what Zacharias had in mind. That's what the Jews of today still expect. They're still looking for this promised one to come. To destroy all of her enemies and set up that eternal kingdom. But the second fulfillment of this prophecy applies not just to Israel. It applies to everyone. Every man, every woman, every child of every nation throughout history. And that is that Jesus came not simply to destroy and rescue Israel of her political enemies, but Jesus came to rescue people of all ages, ethnicities, and cultures from their spiritual enemies. When, when Zacharias prophesies this, he doesn't even realize what he's saying. To deliver us from our 
enemies, our greatest enemies, which are the devil and death, Jesus came to deliver us from. Even now, Jesus is gathering a people unto himself. And whereas the previous picture, Jesus opens prison doors, speaks of the fact that he sets captives free, this speaks of the enemy being defeated so he cannot take any more prisoners. It's a total victory for the people of God. Notice, thirdly, Jesus cancels the debt. In verses 76 and 77, again, in recognition of the Jewish mindset about the Messiah in the day, this is truly incredible statements from Zacharias when he talks about John who will go before the way of Jesus. Notice in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people, God's people, by the what? Remission of their sins. Is that what the Jewish people of the day expected of the Messiah? They weren't looking for someone to come and save them from their sins. In fact, the, the religious leaders of the day thought that they were right with God through their obedience to the law and the traditions. They weren't looking for salvation from sin. They were looking for deliverance from Rome. But as Zacharias speaks, Holy Spirit-filled, led prophecy, he says the Messiah will come to give knowledge of salvation, deliverance, but not deliverance from Rome, deliverance by the forgiveness of sins. And that's what the word remission means. Remission means to send away, to dismiss as a debt. It carries the idea of a formal release from an obligation or debt. How many of you have ever taken out a home mortgage or a car loan? Anybody? Has there ever been a time when you still owed thousands of dollars on your car, you still owed thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars on your home, that you received a letter from the bank and you assumed it was going to be something like, hey, we're raising rates or what, you know, you, we need all the money right now or maybe something like that. And instead you opened that letter and it said, we've decided to discharge your entire debt. You don't have to send in another payment ever. Anybody ever had that happen before? I didn't think so. That's exactly what God does for us through Jesus. We owe a debt to God we could never pay. It's the debt that every sin that has ever been committed by us or even universally throughout history by humanity has, has added up and added up and added up and added up, kind of like a loan that the interest rate is so high you never pay down the principal. Our sin debt to God can never be paid down because... The principle is just too great. And we keep adding on and adding on and adding on. And, and some think that my good works will pay that debt down and pay it off. And the reality is that can never happen. But listen to me. God, through Jesus, cancels the debt. That's what the psalmist had in mind as he penned Psalm 103.12. As far as is the east from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
It's what John preached later as an adult in John 1.29 when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. It's what the Apostle John meant when he penned in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, these words, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not, but guess what? We all do. And so he said, But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation, the satisfaction. He satisfies the debt. For our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to pay the sin debt of every man, woman, and child of every nation throughout history. He cancels the debt. Fourthly, he brings the new day. At the end of the prophecy, Zechariah speaks about this day spring from on high that visits us. The word day spring here literally means a rising. It's depicted in, in nature by the sunrise or by the dawn. I'm sure that you have witnessed the rising of the sun before. When you're out... At, at that time of day and you look toward the east and it's, it's dark, it's black, it's night. And then suddenly that light begins to just come over the horizon and you see just that, that simple, that just slight beginning of the dawn. When, when the first light is just peeking over the horizon. But what happens the moment that that orbital figure of the sun crops over the horizon? It's not just that slight bit of light anymore, is it? Now you have that full brightness of the sun shining. In the Old Testament, the Messiah is portrayed as a son. He's also portrayed as a branch springing up. And what we learn in the Bible from cover to cover is that man is overcome by distress, by darkness, and by death. This is man's lot. This is man's destiny apart from God's gift of Jesus. We are mired in distress. We are mired in darkness. We are mired in death. But Jesus, God's perfect gift, God's life-changing gift, Jesus brings light. Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings life. Matthew 4 12 through 16, the, the penman Matthew says that, that Jesus heard that John had been cast into prison and he departed into Galilee. He left Nazareth. He came and dwelt Capernaum. He went to these places, the borders of Zebulun and Nephthalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, and it goes on and it says this, 
Next slide, please. The land of Zebulun, the land of Nathalem, by, by the land of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness, what? Saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 where we essentially have the same words, that man was mired in darkness because of her vexation. She's afflicted, even more afflicted. And then it goes on to speak about the one who would bring light, who would bring peace, who would bring life. And it's the one prophesied a little later in that chapter, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. God will do it. Jesus is God's gift that changes your life. Accept that gift. Accept it. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God gave Jesus for you, and he does all of this and more. He changes your life. And unfortunately, there are believers, maybe you today, even though you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't live in the reality of that gift that is life changing you've forgotten all that jesus did for you you don't live for him you you don't live out that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear uh, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives Friends, do you understand that what he has done for you enables you to be delivered? The hand of the enemy has no grip on you anymore. Yes, he walks about as a roaring lion, but he's toothless against the child of God. God's delivered you. He's enabled you to serve him fearlessly righteously holy all the days of your life accept it and then advance god's gift we have two examples of this in the text first the obvious one zacharias as zacharias is filled with the holy spirit of god and by the way remember God sent his Holy Spirit to fill the believer in great part for what purpose? To share. 
but ye shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. It should not surprise us that Zacharias, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, is sharing about Jesus. That's why you have the Holy Spirit as a believer. One writer said about Zacharias in this part of the text, Zacharias didn't even know Jesus yet, but he praised him, he loved him, he was passionate about Jesus. We know so much more about Jesus than Zacharias did. So what can excuse the coldness of our hearts? And then another example in the text is John Baptist. It's of John the Baptist. Zacharias' son, that he says in verse 76 and 77, that you'll be the prophet, you'll go to prepare the face before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. John wasn't the Savior. He wasn't sent by God to save and to forgive sins. What was he sent to do? To give people the knowledge of it. What does that mean? To tell people about it. Do you remember what John said about himself when the religious leaders from Jerusalem came and said, are you the one? Are, are you the, the promised one of the Old Testament? Are, are, you, are you that prophet? And what did John say? No. I'll tell you what I am. I am the what? Voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I I am sent by God to use this voice, this gift of communication that God's given me to share salvation, to give knowledge, to let you know about. Isn't that how we share knowledge with one another? That, that's all John said he, he was, what he was sent to do, to share the truth. And friends, that's what you and I who know Jesus Christ need to do. Why, why does this matter so much? Why can we say that God's gift of Jesus changes lives? Well, if you fail to accept God's gift, you have no salvation. You are yet in distress and darkness, condemned to death because of your sin. As a believer, if we fail to advance God's gift, we are failing to partner with God in his work to redeem the world. God has made us partners in that work. So today, accept God's gift. Advance God's gift. If you've never accepted God's gift, do so now. If you have accepted God's gift, commit to advance his gift by sharing Jesus with someone else this Christmas season. This Christmas season, make a commitment to share the truth of Jesus with one other person. Can you commit to that? Accepting God's gift truly changes your life.
And advancing God's gift gives someone else the opportunity to have their life changed by Jesus. And so as we come to this time today, if you've never accepted God's gift, know today that you are overcome by distress, by darkness, by death. But God sent Jesus to bring peace, to bring light, to bring life. Believe today and be saved. And if you've accepted God's gift, partner with God to advance his gift by sharing the truth of Jesus with another. Jesus truly changes lives. Do you believe it? Do you believe that today? If you do, then share that truth with someone else.